You're listening to Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. Now, here's your host, Christopher Linfont. Ladies and gentlemen of the Ravens flock, my name is Christopher Linfont, bringing you another episode of the Nest Talk podcast. Nest Talk episode 43 is being recorded on Friday, uh, September 6, 2019, at approximately 1.30 in the afternoon. So, um, you all remember last week's episode was on Saturday because we talked about the um, cuts, the various cuts the Baltimore Ravens made um, on the roster. And of course, you know, that's a very big deal, um, not only for the Ravens, but it was everywhere in the NFL. Everybody was cutting um, and we had wrapped up the cut, so I do want to talk about that. The surprise cut of Willie Henry, the possibility of some players getting on the practice squad. We have all that information now uh, in practice squad. We have other news we have to talk about. Um, but of course, first, before we jump on into the podcast here, I want to make sure you know where you can find all the podcast information. If you are listening on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, hit the notification bell to get all the latest podcasts published to you immediately. If you're listening on iTunes, subscribe to iTunes, rate us on iTunes, give us a good rating if you like us, give us, you know, not so good rating if you don't. doesn't really matter as long as you are contributing to the podcast via feedback. Uh, we can always improve the podcast, um, and I always take suggestions. Um, you can tweet them out or comment them on the YouTube channel. Um, and speaking of tweeting, you can find us at Nest Talk uh, on Twitter, at Be More Feather for the Baltimore Feather, and of course me at Chris Linfont on Twitter as well. And of course, while you are here, make sure to check out our uh, website, our official website, BaltimoreFeather.com, for the latest, greatest Ravens news and opinions articles. Uh, and of course, this is the Nest Talk, the best and most elite Baltimore Ravens podcast on the internet. And of course, you already knew that because you are tuning in. But you know, if you're not a repeat listener here, uh, welcome to the podcast, and I hope you enjoy. So now that our housekeeping items are being um, are taken out of the way here, we have to talk first not about the Baltimore Ravens. That's right. If you have been paying any attention to NFL news, we're not going to talk about the Packers game last night. That sucked. The Packers-Bears game was terrible. I mean, it was okay if you like defensive football, which I do. But, I mean, there were no good offensive plays at all. It was just punt, 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 punt. Um... So that was that was pretty annoying. But no, we're not going to talk about the Packers and Bears games here. Um, we are going to talk about the situation regarding uh, the former AFC North wide receiver, and that's Antonio Brown over with the uh, soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders, the Oakland Raiders. Um, Antonio Brown has been a big problem for um, the Oakland Raiders, and I think they knew they were getting somebody who is going to be a problem obviously because you don't trade for him Antonio Brown like the Antonio Brown the guy who's always been a problem for Pittsburgh he just flat out has always been people have been saying it's really been this offseason it's been before this offseason it's been before the last game of last year where he sat out he's always had these diva issues about him so now we've come to a point where here I am on our Ravens podcast, not Goal Line Stance, you know, the NFL podcast we do. Here I am on Nest Talk having to call out Antonio Brown. Because the problem with Antonio Brown is he doesn't know when to stop doing anything. Anything at all. Antonio Brown 
first it was the helmet issue, right? And I get it. Everybody's entitled to try to get the equipment they want that they feel like they need to, to thrive in the NFL. But threatening to retire over a helmet is ludicrous, okay? And then, of course, there's the ice bath or whatever he did in France. The therapy that got frostbite on his foot. I mean, that was a whole saga on its own. Now here we are, right before week one. And what does he do? He gets fined for not participating in mandatory walkthroughs, in mandatory practices. Not because he's injured with the frostbite. He's fine now. Just because he didn't show up. He flies out to Winnipeg. Remember they, the, the Raiders played in Winnipeg a few weeks ago? They fly out to Winnipeg. And instead of participating in a walkthrough, a simple hour walkthrough, and you don't even have to do anything in a walkthrough, he decides, let me just sit and not go. Not let me ask the coach, since I'm not playing, do I, if, I can't, if I don't have to do this. Not let me tell the coach, hey, my foot's bothering me, if it still was. Not let, hey, tell the coach that I have an issue that I have to take care of and can't make the walkthrough. No, just skips it because he feels like it. Just skipping things because you feel like it? I mean, this is a problem. And he gets fined for all this stuff, right? And it's he should be fined because no matter how good Antonio Brown is, he's not above his team. That's number one. He is not above the team. He is not above the Raiders organization. He is not the face of the fran- I mean, he is the face of their franchise if you don't count Derek Carr and John Gruden, but he does not, he should not get special treatment. And he did in Pittsburgh, and that's what he was used to, whether it was a locker room video, whether it was showing up to training camp in a, in a helicopter for no reason, you know, arguing with Ben Roethlisberger about not getting enough touches. I mean, he got special treatment in Pittsburgh. Mike Tomlin gave him special treatment. That is a fact. Mike Mayock is not going to give him special treatment. Mike Mayock, they hired him this past year, NFL Network analyst, draft guy, knows all the draft prospects. And he's here to run the show, and it's obvious now what he did. Because Mike Mayock fined Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown then decides, hmm, let me take my displeasure with the Oakland Raiders, the team that has put all the confidence in the world in me, even though I was a complete bonehead in Pittsburgh. They give me all the confidence in the world. Let me go on social media. Let me go on Instagram. Trash them. Call them the devil. And how they're hating on me because they're finding me when I didn't show up to things I said I was going to show up to that were required of me and required of everybody. Let me just let me just go on social media and 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 play the victim again over and over. He's done this many times. And I mean all these Steelers fans can just sit and laugh at this. And I'm no Mike Tomlin fan, okay? I don't particularly like Mike Tomlin. I don't really think he's running the Pittsburgh Steelers appropriately, but if this is the Antonio Brown he kept under wraps for years, then he might be the best talent manager we've ever seen. Because Antonio Brown did some wacky things in Pittsburgh, but he never went this wacky. And what I'm talking about is, of course, if you follow the NFL news, you'll know yesterday, Thursday, September 5th, 
Antonio Brown, well, actually it was Wednesday, but it was released yesterday. We know Antonio Brown went off the rails. I mean, off the rails. And you know, because he's so far off the rails, you know it's bad when Vontez Perfect, of all people, is the sane voice in the Oakland Raiders. Because Antonio Brown yesterday, no, not yesterday, it was released yesterday that he did this. That's what Adam Schefter reported yesterday. Ian Rappaport picked up on it. Uh, I think Victor Four of The Athletic, the Oakland Raiders coverage guy, picked up on it. On Wednesday, not yesterday, Antonio Brown essentially went up to Mike Mayock and had some words for him. I'm not going to repeat all the words. They got into a shouting match. Antonio Brown then decided to say that he wanted to, quote, punch Mayock in the face. His general manager punched him in the face, wanted to punch him in the face, had to be reportedly held back by Vontez Perfect, the dirtiest player in NFL history, is the voice of reason, is the guy holding you back from making a stupid decision, is Vontez Perfect, the guy who knocked you out in, in that wild card game in 2015 that everybody I just said it now everybody's gonna remember exactly the play Vontez Burford coming across the middle knocking Antonio Brown out he's the one that is the voice of reason here you messed up bad and then of course he, he proceeds to punt a football and yell find me for that um, and storms off the practice field like a five-year-old as we all know his mental capacity is at this point a five-year-old that's Antonio Brown for you that's what I knew you were gonna get Oakland if you have any Oakland fans listening here, I knew exactly this is what you were going to get in Antonio Brown. Because Antonio Brown has demonstrated time and time again that he has, you know, the attitude of a five-year-old. It's all about me, 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 me. And, you know, it's just insane. And I had to talk about it because this is huge league news and you know him being a former uh, player in our division it's it's something I just have to touch on um, maybe I saw it coming more than people in Oakland would because you know we've paid attention to Antonio Brown so much more because he's in our was in our division um, but now he's facing suspension but now there's also talk that he won't get suspended um, Mayock might be looking into taking away his $30 million in guaranteed and cutting him because um, in the, there's a clause in the contract saying that guaranteed money would go away if if he demonstrates conduct detrimental to the team. And I think p- threatening to punch the GM in the face is conduct de- detrimental to the team. I'm no legal expert, but I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure that one out. Um, so just had to talk about that and of course just voice my frustration with Antonio Brown because he is one of the best wide receivers that we have in all honesty you know I think he's probably a little bit overrated but he's one of the best wide receivers in this league and it's a complete shame he cannot get out of his own way get out of his own head and just play football and just succeed like we know he can absolutely insane and I'm sorry if I took a little too much time uh, talking about it but I thought it had to be said Uh, just wanted to you know talk about it a little bit but moving on into some Ravens news of course we have the full practice squad roster now um, at our disposal 10 guys on the practice squad Uh, some other roster moves the Ravens made after final cut day or you know initial cut day at least 
Um, and then, of course, we're going to preview the Dolphins game, uh, which I think will be interesting when we talk about it. But, um, of course, we do have to take care of these news items first. And the first, of course, is the practice squad. Uh, as I've been saying here, the Baltimore Ravens practice squad is made up of 10 players. Typically, you're going to put undrafted rookies, guys who are close to making the team, um, but not there yet. Guys you can hope to develop um, or people that you want to have available um, for you to pick up should somebody else get injured. I mean, these are all um, you know, reasons you would put somebody on the practice squad. So the Ravens have 10 guys on the practice squad. Um, and the first one I want to talk about is Maurice Kennedy because they put Maurice Kennedy on the practice squad after cutting him. Um, Maurice Kennedy, he's been on the Ravens since 2016. This, since since 2016, now he's not on the roster. I think for the first time since then, he's dealt with many an injury uh, in his his NFL career here, his short one so far. And you know he did not look good this preseason at all. I mean, there has been talk that Maurice Kennedy has been. Um, you know, on the cusp of becoming a good cornerback for a couple years now. Last year, I mean, two years ago, there was a lot of talk. Last year, there was some talk. This year, there was no talk. And the reason for that is really because this play took a tremendous hit, a tremendous drop in play, um, ability, performance, was not very good at all in the preseason. In training camp, he got burned a lot too. Um, so when we look at Maurice Kennedy here being put on the practice squad, I mean, he's probably the best overall player on this practice squad. But from being on the roster since like 2016 to being on the practice squad in 2019, you can see that he's already in a very, very difficult position here. Um, the good thing for Kennedy is, according to Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network, he is making $26,000 per week on the practice squad. So that's a, that's an added bonus, I guess, for being on the Ravens practice squad. But, you know, the minimum is 8000 I think. But, you know, it's just not a good look for Kennedy. Flat out isn't a good look for Kennedy. Um Will he ever play for the Ravens again? I kind of doubt it past next offseason because I imagine he'll be back for the offseason unless somebody gets hurt, and that's the reason he's on this practice squad. If somebody gets hurt, uh, they elevate Kennedy. But Kennedy's play looked terrible. It looked terrible throughout the preseason. I don't see any way Kennedy ever becomes an important piece for the Baltimore Ravens again unless somebody gets hurt and they elevate him now. Um... So, I mean, he's, he's out the door. He'll have to find a team next year, I would imagine, because I don't think he'll make the roster again. Um, you know, Nico Siragusa got put on the practice squad after a year with the Ravens. Now he's gone. Jermaine Illuminor spent time on the practice squad last year. He's gone. This is another player from one of these draft classes that just doesn't seem um, able to make it for whatever reason and is being put on the practice squad. And this is his real last test here um, because he could be gone by the middle of this season. Who knows? Um, so it is very disappointing that Kennedy was not able to get past the hump with the Ravens. Um, but it's not surprising based on the play he's demonstrated this year. And there was a lot of, again, there was a lot of talk. There was a lot of hype around Kennedy. But he was never able to materialize it. Never able to make it something that the Ravens were going to 
see as well, not just fans, media talking. Baltimore never really saw him as a viable starter um, or, you know, someone who would eventually become a viable starter. Uh, moving on down the list, though, because there are 10 guys. That's just one we got to talk about. Delance Turner, my guy, Delance Turner out of Alcorn State. The running back made the practice squad. And I'm kind of disappointed because I thought Delance Turner could have been picked up by somebody else. And honestly, he's such a good running back that I thought he should have been picked up by somebody else. I kind of feel bad for him that he's kind of wasting his time around here when he could be a third running back for a lot of teams in this league. But it appears no one was able to lure him out of Baltimore. Um, and I just got the alert now that John Gruden said Antonio Brown will play Monday night against Denver, so he is not being suspended for his actions against Mike Mayock, which is very surprising. He must have really apologized to Mayock because there is no way he is letting, you know, Mayock would let that slide. Um, so apologies for interrupting the show, but I mean, in the middle of recording here, we want to make sure we have the most accurate information for you. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty insane. Um, so back to the practice squad after that, um, you know, we got Delance Turner back on the practice squad. And it's good for us because Delance is such a good um, running back. He's a guy I think that – he's a, he's a guy I think could develop um, to become a starting running back in this league. You see the way he pounds through defensive lines. Um, he makes plays in the preseason that a lot of running backs don't make. Um, you know – the Ravens are only keeping three running backs, and we'll talk about what happens to Kenneth Dixon, what happened to Kenneth Dixon later in this episode. If you already know, you already know. If you don't, just stick around. We'll talk about it. But um, Delance Turner, the Ravens are keeping three running backs. Delance Turner on the practice squad. Let's say somebody gets injured. Let's say, I don't know, Gus Edwards takes a hit, um, and he's down for six to eight weeks. Lance Turner comes in, easy replace. He's a guy that can bring a lot to a roster pretty quickly, right? Um, to a running backs group pretty quickly. So Delance Turner, um, he's a guy the Ravens are absolutely going to love having on the practice squad, but it is disappointing for him specifically because he really doesn't deserve to be on a practice squad at this point. I think he could definitely be on another roster right away. Um, but maybe he gets picked up by somebody midseason. Maybe he doesn't. We'll see. It, it's going to be difficult to keep him on the practice squad all, all year, I believe. Um, Antoine Wesley is is on the practice squad. He's a guy that a lot of people thought was going to make a lot of plays this preseason based on his training camp performance, his measurables and such. Uh, but the Texas Tech wide receiver never really did. Um, he got outplayed by Jaleel Scott quite um, – I'm not going to say embarrassingly, but it wasn't really a matchup in the preseason like it was in training camp. Scott really just took off, uh, and Wesley was left behind. So when you have a situation like that, obviously you're not going to keep Wesley on the roster with you know six receivers already on the roster. The Ravens had five receivers last year, only kept four active. They're not going to need all six all the time. But... Um, Antoine Wesley has enough talent, has enough ability um, to be a good wide receiver, enough, you know, potential. He's got a lot of it. And 
the Ravens definitely like what he could bring. He's very tall, very lanky. He's a guy that can go up and make plays. Um, didn't see enough of it in the preseason again. Saw some of it in training camp. If Wesley can harness that ability, he could potentially make this roster in a couple years. But he's not going to make it this year. Um, and that's really the reason the Ravens decided to keep him on the practice squad. Um, then, of course, you got Sean Monster there. Um, Sean Monster, the, the slot receiver, a little guy that kind of reminds you of Wes Welker or um, Julian Edelman. Of course, a little toned down, obviously. He's a practice squad guy. But Monster had some good plays in the preseason. I am glad the Ravens put him on this practice squad because I think Monster presents a tremendous upside in the future if he can develop into a solid wide receiver. Whether or not that happens, um, it's really going to be up to him more than anything else on that. But he is a very good prospect. He's a guy that I think could do things in the future, but he's definitely not there yet. Um, could be a return guy, too. Showed a little bit of that this past year. Special teams, maybe if he's not a return guy, he could be a gunner, I think. Um, that's where a lot of these guys make their earnings first before moving on into you know, decently successful receiver status. So Monster's going to be on this roster. Um, not roster, practice squad. Uh, Marcus Applefield is also on the practice squad. Applefield, I mean, the undrafted free agent out of Virginia, offensive lineman. He didn't show me a lot this preseason that made, made me want to, you know, really even consider him for anything. Um, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention to him, but, I mean, it was really all about Pat McCarry uh, in there, center slash guard Pat McCarry, um, undrafted rookie, of course. Um, but... In the end here for Marcus Applefield, he does make the, the practice squad roster, and I was surprised by it. I didn't think he would. I thought that the Ravens would maybe go after somebody else on the offensive line. I thought they would actually cut Makari and keep him on the, the practice squad, but they actually um, kept Makari on the um, initial 53-man roster. So um, the Ravens here definitely, I mean, they've got... A decent offensive lineman in Marcus Applefield. He's got better measurables than he does play, I think. Um, but he's going to have to develop if they're going to use him for anything in the future because right now he's really not going to do anything. Not going to be able to do anything. If he was called up for a game, I wouldn't expect him to ever produce at a high level in the NFL. I mean, sometime in the future, but right now, definitely not. Um, then, of course, you got R.J. Prince in there, former Pittsburgh Steelers. They signed in the um, this past offseason. Uh, R.J. Prince was interesting because he's, he's, he's got good measurables. He had decent play. Um, but, you know, I guess the Ravens want to have some um, offensive linemen on this practice squad that they can, you know, depend upon being there all year because, you know, R.J. Prince probably, you know, isn't going to be called by anybody, and neither is um, Marcus Applefield. Um, but the good thing about R.J. Prince is he has experience, you know, being on another team before. This isn't his first year. So if the Ravens did need somebody to come up and play offensive line immediately, R.J. Prince could be that guy. R.J. Prince probably would be that guy over Marcus Applefield. Um, you know, just because of the experience alone, I mean, they're both big, but R.J. Prince is probably going to be the guy they, they called to first. And with him, though, he's likely not to get, you know, picked up by anybody midseason, um, although it is possible. Um so it's, I think it's a win-win there. 
um, for the Ravens and R.J. Prince. They also kept Charles Scarf on the practice squad, the tight end. Um, I was debating whether or not I thought Scarf could make the roster because the Ravens keeping only three tight ends at first for me seemed kind of you know a wonky idea, but then you realize they've got Pat Ricard in there at fullback as an extra blocker, and in their run-heavy offense, they're going to use an extra blocker a lot. Um, so having four blockers and you know three tight ends and a fullback makes sense. Um, so Charles Scarf makes the practice squad, and I think there's a lot of upside to Scarf. I liked what I saw out of him in the preseason. He wasn't amazing, but as an undrafted rookie tight end, you're not going to be amazing. Again, the, the blocker idea was my first, um, but he did show enough out of me over, or over Cole Herdman. I think, thought the Ravens would want to keep a tight end on this practice squad over Cole Herdman. Um, he did enough to make me think he would be on the practice squad, and here he is on the practice squad. Zach Seiler gets put on the practice squad, and this is a big one because Zach Seiler, Ozzie Newsom's last draft pick. That's right. Ozzie Newsom's last draft pick did not make the team the year after he was drafted. That's a big problem for Zach Seiler. There was a lot of discussion about Seiler heading into this offseason. A lot of people, and I kind of did too, bought into the idea that Seiler was going to take a big step, that he was going to become one of these defensive linemen that the Ravens would depend upon. And here we are. He's not on the roster. And again, you know, this is the same thing with Maurice Kennedy. This is a guy who was drafted. You know, the same thing, exact same thing happened to Nico Siragusa. The year after you're drafted, you're put on the practice squad. And now he's out of Baltimore. And this definitely could happen to Zach Seiler. This definitely could. Um... It's interesting he didn't get picked up by anybody looking for a defensive lineman. I guess it does show you that he didn't have the burst, didn't have the play style that we were looking for in him. This, you know, he's, he's from Ferris State, so it's not a huge football program. Um, but the Ravens aren't really even concerned with keeping him on the roster. IR stashing him, thinking he could develop. They're not concerned with that at all. So they're they put him on the practice squad. Plain and simple. They're not messing around anymore. If if you're a player who's not producing at the level the Baltimore Ravens want you to, no matter what year of your contract you're in, they will move on. They'll put you on the practice squad to save face, and that's gonna be it. And that's what's happening to Zach Seiler. I kinda doubt he'll even be back with Baltimore last year, just how it's gone again with Nico Siragusa with Jermaine Illuminor this year being traded after spending a lot of last year on the practice squad. Not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, so we'll see what happens to Zyler. Two more here. We've got Aaron Adoye, defensive lineman, and Donald Payne, linebacker. Let's just do a quick round on these two guys. Uh, Adoye, I don't know much about, but they do want to have some sort of development um, at the defensive line position. He wasn't that standout-ish in the preseason, but I guess the coaches did see something in him, whether it's measurables and whatnot. Um, to want to keep him on the practice squad and make him available for the Ravens next year or sometime this year if they're looking for another defensive lineman. And Donald Payne, the linebacker, um, had some very good special teams moments. It's always important, but in the end, he was not able to surpass maybe uh, Otero Alaka um, or anybody else in this um, you know, linebacker's battle here to make the roster. Um, of course, Otero Alaka, the undrafted free agent, did make the roster. Um, and I thought he, that Donald Payne could be put on this because of his special teams prowess, and I think that's why he was. 
um, and we'll see whether or not the Ravens would want to try to develop him and move him into a more linebacker-ish position uh, and stray him away from special teams. But of course, if he's going to want to make a roster, it's going to be through special teams. That's how these guys make rosters, especially uh, in Baltimore. So that is the practice squad. To recap, we have Delance Turner, running back, Maurice Kennedy, cornerback, Antoine Wesley, wide receiver, Sean Monster, wide receiver, Marcus Applefield, offensive lineman, R.J. Prince, offensive lineman, Charles Scarf, tight end, Zach Seiler, defensive lineman, Aaron Adoye, defensive lineman, and Donald Payne, the linebacker. Um, so shortly after that, the Ravens made another roster move. They did something that everybody assumed would happen, and that's um, placing Eamon Marshall, the rookie cornerback, on the IR uh, and re-signing Brendan Trowick. Um, the reason they had to cut Trowick first, and I even said this in last week's episode, but for those who didn't listen, uh, I didn't have time to listen last week, the reason they cut Trowick is because he wouldn't hit the waiver wire. If he hits the waiver wire, anybody can sign him. Anybody can claim him. If he doesn't hit the waiver wire, um, the Ravens can agree to bring him back, and that would be it. That, that, that's it. No one else is going to be able to claim him and prevent the Ravens from doing that. So they had to cut him first to get Eamon Marshall on the IR because they're not sure yet whether or not Eamon Marshall would be able um, to return or not this season because he had some sort of injury. I don't know the full specifics. I believe it started as turf toe. Um, but a lot of people are saying they're IR stashing him, but they didn't throw him in there right away. They're making sure there's an ability for him to come back. Whether or not he has to, he will come back or not, we don't know. The Ravens don't have to designate that for a while. But Emin Marshall has the opportunity to come back should he be healthy too, and the Ravens want him to. And that's what they were really wanting to get. And Brendan Trowick understood the th- plan, and as a free agent who had been with the Ravens beforehand, basically being told by Eric DaCosta, look, we're going to cut you, we're going to bring you back in, we just have to make sure we get Eamon Marshall as eligible to return. And you had to wait after the initial cuts to do that. And they did that. They were able to do it, they brought Trowick back, and everybody's happy now. Uh, I like the move. I thought Trowick really impressed me as a cornerback more than I thought he would. And I say that, especially in the last game. The last preseason game, he had a pick, um, played well, and you know his special team's ability with Justin Bethel is going to be very good. Um, and of course, he did injure Jacoby Jones you know, that year after the Super Bowl. We're not going to talk about that. But Trowick is a special teams pro bowler. He's a guy that has a lot of value for Baltimore, a special teams-oriented team. Um, and I think it's just... Honestly, it's smart to have him around, especially since he proved he can play some corner. You know, we really only have like five true corners in Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, Brandon Carr, um, Cyrus Jones, and um, Anthony Averett. Even Cyrus Jones, you could say, isn't a true corner being more, you know, originally a punt returner for this team. Um, So to bring in Trowick, though, even Bethel, too, because Bethel, we knew, was going to make the roster anyway because of his contract. Trawick showed that he could play a little corner. He's not a great corner. I'm not saying he's a fantastic corner. He's not going to make the Pro Bowl, nothing like that. But he has the ability to be a decent corner. 
a stand-in corner for the Baltimore Ravens, and that's what they're looking for, and a guy who can also play special teams. And that's simply what got him back here. It's not just a special team's ability. It's the fact that they think they could use him as corner if they had to, and they'd be confident in doing so. And that's very important to the Baltimore Ravens. It's important to a defensive and special teams-oriented team. So that's how they're going to do it. And I am happy they brought him back because I think Trawick um, is a very good resource for this team. Um, and then, of course, I talked about Kenneth Dixon for a brief moment, saying we're going to reference him and, and discuss what happened with him later in the episode. And here we are because these are our last news story before we break down um, the key battles the Ravens are going to have to do uh, to win, to prevail, and to defeat the Miami Dolphins this upcoming Sunday at 1 p.m., um, and Kenneth Dixon has been cut. That's a sentence I've been waiting to say for a long time, and I'm not going to, you know, jump on the ground of Kenneth Dixon's grave because that's not something I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm frankly sorry it had to end this way, but I was waiting for it because I knew it was coming, and I knew it was coming since last year. When he got hurt in the first game against the Bills, I was there in the pouring rain. It was near the end of the game, He got hurt, and I just knew right then and there, that's it. He's not coming back. I mean, he did come back. I will give it to him. He came back and played well at the end of the season, but I thought he wasn't going to come back this year. That was my initial reaction. Got placed on the IR, came back off the IR, did well, but the Ravens simply cannot deal with Kenneth Dixon anymore. They just can't. The problem with Kenneth Dixon was never about talent because he had all the talent in the world. He had all the talent you could possibly need at running back. The problem with Kenneth Dixon was always that he could not stay on the field. He could not stay healthy. And here we are now. He's he's gone. It only took us a long time to cut Kenneth Dixon. Three years with him, 16, 17, and 18. Right? Those seasons. We've had Kenneth Dixon. He didn't play much the first year because he got hurt in training camp or preseason or whatever. Got hurt last year. Well, I'm sorry. 2017, meniscus tear, suspension. 2018, got hurt, came back, played well. 2019, here we are, got hurt. No one actually really knew what the injury was because he got hurt and then came back in the game. Um, but that may not be the injury discussed here. John Harbaugh pretty much said it outright when they released him because they had to put him on IR first to give him an injury settlement. Um, that's what happens when you release a player You have to when he's injured. If you release a player when he's injured, you have to give him a settlement, um, some sort of amount of money, because you are partly responsible for that injury. It's going to be difficult for him to play again, yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to go into the specifics of the amount because I don't know that right now, but Kenneth Dixon fractured his knee um, sometime with the Ravens between that preseason game uh, and cut day. I don't know if it was during the preseason game, and if it was, why did he go back in? Do they know it was a fractured knee? Did he fracture it after he went back in? I don't know. Um, But all I know now is he's no longer going to be with the Ravens, and this was a long time coming. You just, everyone just kind of sensed it at this point. Everybody just knew that Kenneth Dixon was just eventually going to be let go by the Baltimore Ravens, and here we are. He, it's, it's finally happened. He's finally been let go. Um, 
and it it is some it is sad because Kenneth Dixon should have had a very good career in Baltimore, but it didn't turn out that way. And you know, the reasons um, for it, it's just injury, and it's unavoidable because it's not Kenneth Dixon's fault. He keeps getting injured. It's not the Baltimore Ravens' fault. Kenneth Dixon keeps getting injured. It's just the way it has to be, apparently. So the Ravens finally let the Kenneth Dixon saga end, and there was a lot of hype around him for, for a long time in 2016, but it never materialized. Um, one of the leading rushers and career touchdown scorers in the NCAA could not pull it off in the NFL. And we'll see if he gets picked up by somewhere else. I kind of hope he does, um, but it won't be till next season at this point with that fractured knee. Uh, and that's our last news story. There's really not that much more news to talk about here today. Um, again, Kenneth Dixon there, not coming back to the Ravens after that. But looking ahead to this Dolphins game, there's some keys to the game we do have to talk about here. Um, key battles I want to I talk about. Um, but first, I have to stress this because I feel like it has to be said, and that's the Ravens can't underestimate the Dolphins here. I know that you're thinking... Chris, they're a lousy team. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback. They trade. They just traded away Larry Mutunsel and Kenny Stills. They have literally nobody except for Xavier Howard at, at corner. This team is. I mean, you're you're completely right. This team is devoid of talent, devoid of direction. I'm convinced upper management is settled on going 0 and 16 to get the first pick, and. Whether it's tanking for Tua or Trevor Lawrence or, you know, a non-quarterback, who knows? But um, I think that there is a plan to tank in place. They're in rebuild mode. And I never agree with tanking because I think it's stupid and you should always play to win. And because a single offseason in the NFL can flip you. So, I mean, you don't need the one one pick to be, you know, to base your franchise around. You should not go 0-16 purposely, but that's what the Dolphins are doing here. They're trying to do that. Now, whether head coach Brian Flores is on that plan or not, I don't know, and that's where the trouble lies because the Miami Dolphins, led by Ryan Fitzpatrick, a quarterback here, they may be devoid of talent, direction, and everything, but it does not mean you can sleep on them. It absolutely does not mean you can ignore them, and you cannot underestimate them because... In week one, we see plenty of times teams lose to teams they should absolutely beat, especially when it's so early in the year when the chemistry is not entirely formed around a team. New players aren't acquainted with the system as they would be in week seven or week eight, right? Earl Thomas, I mean, Earl Thomas is a great player, but this is a brand new system for him. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't expect him to struggle, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some plays that are like, what is he doing out there? You know, same thing with Marquise Brown, Miles Boykin, you know, even Lamar Jackson with his new, it's an entirely new offense. So, I mean, there are, this game smells like a trap game, and I have an article on deck to be published about this. This game smells like a trap game, and I do not want the Ravens to get embarrassed by the Miami Dolphins in week one of the, of the regular season and have that as Miami's only win for the years against us, because that would be a terrible way to start a year. Absolutely, the Ravens cannot underestimate the Miami Dolphins in any manner. They don't just 
they have to go in and assume they're playing a very good team and act like they're playing a very good team. I'm confident they're going to win. I'll tell you I'll predict they'll win. I don't know my official prediction yet. I'm still in the process of writing it. You'll find that on BaltimoreFeather.com, of course. Um, I'll tell you they're going to win, but I don't, I don't know by how much. And I'm not... As long as they just follow what they have to do, as long as they just see it as a game and not as a win. If they go in thinking they're going to they're going to come out victorious, that's one thing. If they go in just assuming they're going to be victorious no matter what, then they have a big problem. Now, I don't think the Ravens are going to have this problem because John Harbaugh is not the kind of coach to just allow that. But, you know, players can talk and, and stuff happens sometimes. So, the Ravens, again, not to keep hammering this point over and over again, you know, beating a dead horse here, but the Baltimore Ravens cannot, and I repeat, cannot underestimate the Miami Dolphins in any way whatsoever. But, but now, of course, we are going to head right into the three key battles I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name here for this game. Uh, again, the Miami Dolphins are pretty darn devoid of talent, in all honesty. There's not a lot of guys on this roster that, that really strike fear into my eyes here. Uh, but w- the one who kind of is, believe it or not, is Kenyon Drake. And, you know, I mean, he's not the best running back in the league. I wouldn't say he's top five or top ten, but he's serviceable. And I know this offensive line has gone through some turmoil um, in the past few days with, with the trading of, of Laramie Tunsil and everything. But if Kenyon Drake gets the ground game going, then the Ravens could have a problem. So it's Kenyon Drake versus the Ravens front seven. And I got to be honest, there's a lot of question marks on this Ravens front seven. They cut Willie Henry. They've only got five defensive linemen. One of them is Pat Ricard. He'll be playing fullback a lot. He could be tired. They're going to have to switch him around a lot. So it's really going to be Brandon Williams, Michael Pierce, um, Chris Wormley in there, right? And someone else who I'm forgetting. Apologies, I should know this, but, you know, here we are on this defensive line, right? And it's only, like, five people. And, of course, you have the linebackers, right? This is the front seven, not the front four, not the front five. It's the front seven. Pino Nawaso we know, is going to be good. But who's going to line up next to him? If Kenyon Drake can, can hit a hole quick, and Peanut's covered, and Peanut's blocked. Who's going to be there to go tackle him? Is it going to be Chris Board? Is it going to be Kenny Young? Otero Alaka? I don't think it's going to be Otero Alaka, but one of those two guys, Chris Board, Kenny Young, he's going to have to go get it. And I don't know because it's a big question mark. I mean, we saw good plays from both. Kenny Young had some big hits this preseason. But will he be able to consistently do that against the first-team defense? I don't know. I mean, offense, I don't know. Now, again, it's the Miami Dolphins. They're devoid of talent. Their offensive line is not good. But if they get enough momentum, if they make a few plays, if Kenyon Drake busts the big one on the first drive, the Ravens could be in for some trouble. So the front seven, the first thing they're going to need to do is establish dominance because they need to dictate the game to the offensive line, not the other way around. They absolutely have to dictate that game and basically tell Kenyon Drake he cannot run on them at all this game. That's number one. Number two battle is going to be Xavier Howard versus Lamar Jackson. And you might be thinking to yourself, 
well, Xavier and Howard's going to be back there, and Lamar Jackson's going to be over, you know, in our, on our side. They're not going to be going head-to-head. Xavier Howard is the only cornerback, is the only defender, really, on this entire team that I'm actually worried about. Because, look, Lamar Jackson is not the best thrower. I think we know that. And, you know, I'll, I'll get a comment maybe here and there. Oh, you're just hating on Lamar. I'm not hating on Lamar. It's, it's a fact he's not the best thrower in the world. It's a fact. Look at his stats last year. Look at the way he threw the ball. It wasn't great. It was okay. It was enough to win games. But it wasn't great. Um, and that's what concerns me here. Is Xavier Howard is a, is a fantastic corner. Is an absolute stud at corner. And if he confuses Lamar Jackson, if he baits him a little bit, Lamar can make a throw that he regrets. Lamar can make two throws he regrets. We don't want to see Lamar's season start out bad with interceptions that are unnecessary, bat downs that are unnecessary, stupid decisions that are unnecessary, and Xavier Howard can make this happen. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen because I do trust Lamar Jackson. I think he, from what we saw in the preseason, it wasn't a major improvement, but it was an improvement from what we saw. I mean, he only played in two games in the preseason. Two. That was it. Jaguars and Packers. After that, he didn't play. So it's been a few weeks since we've seen him play. We'll have to see him play again here and determine whether or not he's bettered his throwing motion, bettered his mechanics, bettered his accuracy, his precision, his decision-making, everything about it. If he has, then he really shouldn't worry that much about Xavier Howard. Maybe just stay away from him more times than not. Um, But he has to not play mind games with Howard because if Howard makes him think one thing, that he's not looking and baits him into throwing and gets a pick, he's going to get frustrated. Especially in week one. I mean, you know, we all would get frustrated in a situation where we're just starting something and can't do it. So we want Lamar to have a good game. And the way to do that is to have him um, look out for Xavier Howard and not fall into the trap of trying to really outdo him. Because I don't think he's going to be able to outdo him. I don't think he's going to be a precise enough passer right now to throw it in a tight window where Xavier Howard can't get it. If Xavier Howard gets beat, if there's a if he's not close enough to a guy, then fine, throw it. But don't just throw jump balls. Don't try to be super precise against Howard because it's going to come back to haunt him. Um, so it's going to be it's it's going to be interesting to watch who Howard even covers. I'm not going to say it's Marquise Brown because we don't even know if uh, Hollywood's going to play at this point because he got put back on the injured list. Um, I kind of doubt it would be Miles Boykin, but then again, is he going to pair up against Willie Sneed in the slot? I don't know. So, I mean, no one really knows what's going to happen at this point, so who he's going to cover. Um, but it is important that Lamar Jackson know where he is uh, and deals with him accordingly. Uh, and final battle here here is going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick versus the entire Ravens psyche. Now think about it, because this is... In my article, I just wrote that it's going to be published right after this this podcast is done recording. What has Ryan Fitzpatrick done his entire career? He's beaten the teams he shouldn't, and he's lost to the teams he should beat. He should not beat the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens could be in trouble. It makes absolutely no sense how Fitzmagic does any of this. But it happens, and the Ravens aren't really in position to say, well, you know, it's not going to happen this time. 
because it happened last year with Tampa Bay. It's happened with the Jets. It's happened with the Bills. It's happened with the Texans. It's happened with every team Fitzpatrick has ever played for. He's done well in certain situations that's kept his career alive. And this week one matchup, frankly, could be one of those times. And I know the Ravens have the best secondary on paper. It would really be embarrassing to have Ryan Fitzpatrick on the first couple drives tear it apart. Even if it's just because they're not really used to each other yet, they haven't been in game situations with each other as a full unit yet, maybe that's it. And I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but the Ravens need to be prepared for it. The Ravens need to be, 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 be prepared for Ryan Fitzpatrick and very accurate throws and very smart throws all of a sudden, randomly. Because that's just how it rolls. Just how he rolls, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't understand it. I don't have any clue of how he does it, but he does it. And the Ravens, I mean, even if they go down 14-0 in the first quarter, they have to stay calm and address the problems and do it as any team would against any other player. Because in the end, Fitzpatrick is a quarterback. The Ravens have a secondary. They have to dictate to him. I don't care who's in the secondary. I don't care who the quarterback is. You have to play it like you always play it. And Fitzpatrick, even if he goes on fire, the Ravens have to just deal with it accordingly and not panic. Because if they start to panic, the game's over immediately. If they panic, if anybody on the defense panics, because I don't think Harbaugh or any coach would. But if anybody starts panicking, overthinking it, trying to figure out what they can do and think too much and then blow the coverage, the game's going to be over. They're not going to win. So they're going to have to make sure they, they either control Fitzpatrick from the start or rebound pretty quickly and not worry about it too much if Fitzpatrick has a few good plays to start the game because it's, it's very possible, maybe even probable, he will have a couple good plays to start. Um, but then again, this everybody around him sucks. They don't even have Kenny Stills anymore. Who's he going to throw to? So, But you do never know, and we'll see what Fitzpatrick does against Baltimore this Sunday at 1 p.m. The kickoff is finally here. Um, and that's going to conclude today's episode of Nest Talk, Nest Talk episode 43. Again, the Baltimore Ravens kickoff game in Miami, uh, 1 p.m. this Sunday. Again, you can find us at Nest Talk on, on Twitter. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube or iTunes. Make sure you either subscribe or rate us. Uh, in both places, it would be very appreciated. You can find me at Chris Linfont or the Be More, uh, Baltimore Feather at Be More Feather on Twitter. Uh, make sure you tune into Nest uh, Nest Week's Nest Talk episode. Uh, Nest Talk 44 will cover the upcoming game. I'm not sure how much we'll talk about the um, Miami game because, of course, I will be posting uh, retrospective review, Ravens retrospective review uh, online after the game. So this, yeah, this is that's it for today's episode. This is Chris Linfont signing out. Have a great day, everybody. I hope you are wearing your purple for Purple Friday, and I will see you next week.